I want to start with a story from when I was in high school. I, um, I worked a couple of summer jobs at a, a, a friend's company. They were friends from church, and they owned a pump company. So if you lived outside of where Spokane Water and Sewer served, um, you probably lived on some acreage outside of town, and you had a well. And if you had a well dug, we could do everything else to get water from the bottom of that well into your house. So we would come. Gady Pump Company was who I worked for. Phil and Steve Gady were uh, friends from church. And uh, we would show up, and they had this kind of boom arm truck thing, and we would load this super expensive, really fancy pump thing, and then we would just lower it pipe section by pipe section until the bottom of the well. And then we would do everything else. We'd wires that would connect to a control panel, all of the water would connect to this uh, pressure tank because you weren't, you know, you didn't have a water tower. You had to have pressure somehow to get it through the rest of the house. Um, we could get you water from the bottom of your well to your home. But sometimes business was slow, and so on the less exciting days, uh, I would do things like weed whack around the garage, uh, around their, their property, their barn, uh, or wash the trucks. And it was on one of those days when I was in their garage that I noticed um, a bird had had flown in and was flying about up in the rafters and was trying to get out and couldn't. And there were some windows up there that it thought it could get out of, but they didn't open. And it was flying around. I could tell it was kind of freaking out a little bit. And, uh, and so that was way more interesting than the weed whacking that I'd been doing. So I stopped and I was like, how can I help this bird get out of, uh, of this barn? And so I started... Uh, like one of the first things that you do, maybe, maybe you've never encountered this before. We actually, we just had a bird in the Greenwood Square the other day, and I did the same thing where you start to reason with it. Like if I could, if it could help it understand the predicament that it's in, then it would surely, it would know where to go. So I did that. And I, you know, you try, or you try to get behind it and try to shoo it, uh, you know, towards the opening, but the garage doors were lower and I, you know, the, the rafters were way up there. And I realized that it had kind of settled down. And it had settled down near the top of a ladder. There's a tall ladder leaning up against a wall. Uh, and so I slowly started to climb the ladder. And I started to sing to this bird. Uh, and this was in high school, so I was probably singing Rich Mullins. Probably like the color green or some other song where he's engaged in the beauty of God's nature and song. Uh, but I started singing to this bird and slowly climbed up. And it just stood there. It was still. And uh, before long, I was eye to eye with this little, maybe it was a sparrow or some small bird. And wait, we had a parakeet at home. So I'm like, I know what you do. You stick out your finger, and the bird climbs on your finger. And it climbed on my finger when I stuck out my finger. And I'm singing to this bird, and I slowly climb down the stairs. And it stays on my hand the whole time as I walk out of the garage doors and set it in the grass, and it flies away. And it was the most St. Francis of Assisi moment of my whole life. <laughs> um, oh, thanks, that's <laughs> um, that, uh, I often think back to that, to that moment as this, um, I mean, this kind of rare encounter with God's creation where I got to glimpse uh, a little more intimately than maybe normally I do the, um, the beauty and the care um, and the... the just the, the, the way that God cares for these little birds, right? Uh, th this is a, a theme that comes up throughout Scripture, and it's in our passage today. The way that God cares for this little bird um, is just like a fraction of how much he cares for me. So maybe you can have that image of me with a little 
bird on my finger. As I read, uh, don't, don't have that image. Uh, Picture yourself with the disciples surrounding Jesus as he teaches to them, as he teaches to us this morning from Luke 12. We'll read starting in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what uh, what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, be our teacher this morning. And by your Spirit's power, free us from worry and anxiety. Free us to live pursuing your kingdom. Free us to live generous lives. Help us, Lord, and teach us. Amen. Just a quick, like, where are we in Luke here? If you've been around the last couple of weeks, uh, Randy and Summer both preached from passages right before this. And this is a a section in Luke where Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, There's some parallels to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew where there's, uh, you know, a lot of people around Jesus. And some of his teaching is to the crowds and some of it is just to his disciples. But uh, there's just a series of different things that Jesus is teaching. And if you remember... um, Randy's passage that he preached on a couple of weeks ago was uh, some strong warnings and a word of encouragement, right? There was these warnings against hypocrisy, about being people who who say one thing and do another. Uh, Some strong language that Jesus used, but he also had a little encouragement there at the end that was uh, very similar to what we read today, right? Consider the sparrows. You're worth so much more to God than just the sparrows are. Then Summer's passage last week was another strong warning uh, a warning about building barns and, and just kind of increasing your worldly wealth uh, without any, any thought towards how you're growing in your wealth with God, how you're investing in, in God's kingdom. Um, some, some strong, strong language in there about not investing all of your life in uh, that, that which will pass away. And then we get to this passage this morning, which is, is it's so good. Huh? I mean, it's so encouraging and so comforting. 
Um, but we, we, we want to take and remember that all of these things are together, these warnings and these encouragements. And I, I was reminded, actually, of uh, something that my college pastor used to say before he would get up to preach every Sunday, as he would pray, uh, Lord, may my words comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think that as we, as we, read, as we read the words of Jesus, as we uh, read about his encounters with people in Scripture, and as we encounter Christ through prayer, uh, I believe that that's true of what Jesus seeks to do in our lives and in this world, right? To comfort those of us who are afflicted, to comfort us in our affliction, but also to afflict us when we are too comfortable, to, to give us that little swift kick that we so often need. And, and oftentimes, you know, we need both of those things at the same time. Uh, and I think that as, as we look into this, this passage today, we'll find that it's incredibly comforting and encouraging, but there's also some words of warning. There's also a little encouragement. So, uh, do not worry. Jesus says this twice in here. Everybody got it? Are we good? Don't worry. I'll, I'll sit down now. <laughs> um, Right? We need more than just this simple command to actually not worry. <laughs> uh, all of us would hear that and we're like, yes, I, I need to be less anxious. I need to worry less. Um, but just as in Jesus' day, in our day, uh, that simple command is incapable of actually helping us to accomplish that. Uh, and what we need and what Jesus gives us here is an expanded imagination of reality. Uh, we need a bigger view of the world, of what is real, than just the things that occupy our minds uh, that we worry about, that we obsess about. Uh, there was this really great quote from one of the commentaries I read that says this, um, a simple command cannot stop people from worrying about their basic needs, right? You just can't say don't worry and people will say, oh, okay. Um, our consciousness uh, is so dominated by worry and our actions are so dominated by anxious striving that these concerns end up defining reality for us. We cannot imagine another way of living other than to obsess about these things that occupy our minds and our hearts. So change requires this. It requires a basic challenge to our sense of reality that awakens our imagination to view the world differently. And that is what Jesus gives us when he invites us to consider the wildflowers and to consider the raven. The point here is to engage our imagination with something that he's given us in creation that helps us see reality differently than we've been seeing it. Helps expand us from thinking that life is just about these things that consume our worry or consume us with worry. So consider the ravens. This word consider is such a gentle sounding word and yet it's actually an imperative. It's a command. So if you want to obey Jesus this morning, go and look at some flowers and go and look at some birds. That's what obedience to Jesus looks like. Uh, ravens are, there's nothing special about them uh, in first century Palestine. People thought of them much like we think of crows, right? They're just there. They're not particularly appealing. We know that they're smart, but that somehow still doesn't make them more appealing <laughs> to us. Uh, they were actually, and in Jewish cleanliness laws, ravens were unclean. So these were not, uh, you know, not birds that were viewed highly. And yet Jesus says, look at them. Look at how even the ravens are taken care of. All of their needs are met. They don't worry or fret about trying to provide for their most basic needs. Consider, pay attention, think 
about the wildflowers. They don't toil. They, they do what they are supposed to do by simply being who they are. They don't stress about that. Really, there's an invitation here to, to turn us into scientists, right? To turn us into those that observe the natural world and draw bigger, deeper conclusions from that. I've been, uh, been reading this book uh, called Ravished by Beauty that's a look at uh, particularly Calvin and the Puritans and how much they turned towards nature as this instructor. Nature for them was this instructor pointing them to God. And so, especially with the, the Puritans, you had the Great Awakening, and you had all this scientific discovery that was happening at that time. Um, but it was, uh, it was hand in hand with a deep spirituality that appreciated the natural world as this gift from God that was meant to be studied and explored and observed. And it was meant to point us not only to the beauty of the natural world, but beyond that, to the beauty and the goodness of our Creator. Two more quick, quick notes here. Uh, this language of setting our hearts, right? There's these things that we set our hearts on, that we seek, that we pursue. And I'm so sorry, Joshua, that I'm not <laughs> containing your imagination. This is one of the things that God has given us to, uh, to pay attention. Pay attention to that guy that you see the goodness of God, the provision of God. Sorry. I feel like I can do that because he's my nephew, but man, so cute. So there are these, there's this language of pursuit, of seeking, of running after, right? This is what causes us anxiety is when we seek and pursue that which the world runs after, that which cannot bring us peace, that which cannot satisfy us. And yet these are the things that occupy our imagination, that occupy our minds and our hearts. And as we become people who, don't, who look less and less like the world running after these things, um, the natural result of this is a life of generosity. Uh, so the, the last passage here, the last part of this passage, talks about um, selling everything that we have, selling what we have and giving to the poor, uh, which is uh, setting a high bar for a generous life, right? This is not just uh, the 10% off the top, although that's a wonderful goal. Uh, It's not just 10% off the top. This is selling something that you have in order to give to the poor. This is a high, this is generosity that costs us something. And this is the kind of life that understands its relationship, its proper relationship to stuff. It's a kind of life that can sell these things, that can, that can be generous. And then this is an interesting thing, too. This is, this is part of how this prayer gets... Part of how this worry is addressed. When we worry about the most basic needs, part of the solution to this is those of us who have are invited to give. Right? This is, this is part of how we end up answering that, that prayer that we pray at the beginning. So... Uh, Summer and I have been talking, actually not just Summer and I, I've been talking with a number of, of folks in here about this sense that all, all of us, in some f- way, shape, or form, are, have this experience of just surviving. Um, whether that is with uh, how our, our, mo- our, our sense of our money, right, and the resources at our disposal, perhaps it's our sense of time, that there is just not enough time to do all the things that we need to do. 
whether that's uh, in our work, right, and all that our work demands of us, um, I would imagine that in some area of your life, you have the experience of just surviving, which is not what God calls us to as his children. Uh, And as we see in this passage, there's so much more that he desires for us, that he longs to give us than just the experience of surviving. But if we swim in the waters of our culture unthinkingly, and if we are just allowing ourselves to be shaped by the world around us, um, this is what it produces, right? It produces people who are just surviving or who at least perceive their life as just kind of moving from survival to survival to survival. That's what, that's what marketing is about, right? <laughs> or I should say that's what poor marketing is about. <laughs> um, the, the, it's, it's convincing you that there are things that you lack, and if you don't have them, if you don't have them, boy, you're, you're not surviving. You're not living. Or you're, you know, you're barely surviving. Right? Social media, well, regular media, uh, all media, uh, also can work towards this end of, of comparing your life to lives that look so much more easy. Left unchecked, uh, we will be formed into anxious people. That's the reality of the water that we swim in. And so what's necessary is for us to, to, to be intentional about resisting that uh, and embracing something different. Embracing some different practices. And the practices that are offered to us uh, in this passage uh, are considering creation and generosity. That these can be practices that shape in us a view of the world, a bigger picture of reality, that our needs are met by a God who loves us, who wants, who desires to give good gifts to his children. Jesus promises that God will take care of every need that we have. And I, uh, when I was thinking about the needs that we have, uh, Maslow's hierarchy was kind of triggered in my mind. So I have, a, I have an image here. I don't know if you're familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but uh, he was a psychologist in the 40s who was looking at what motivates people towards growth, towards maturity, towards just motivates them as humans, to ultimately kind of achieve the pinnacle of being a human, which he called self-actualization. And uh, mostly, we reference Maslow's hierarchy of needs when we're talking about the importance of meeting the most basic needs before we can even start to talk about the other things, right? So, for example, you can't really uh, look at, at fulfilling your vocational goals and in offering your gifts to the world if you're dying of starvation. That is a need that needs to be met and taken care of first before you can sort of progress through these different levels of of becoming a full human, right? So this has impacted the way that relief agencies do work in the world, right? This this understanding that first what we got to do is if people are dying of starvation, we want to tell them about the love of Jesus, but they first... My goodness, we need to feed them. Uh, we need to make sure that they're sheltered. Uh, and, and then, as those needs are taken care of, then we can address some of the um, psychological and emotional and, and, and mental issues and, and things that they have. So, uh, so here we have, uh, in this passage, um, the promise and the assurance that God, who gives good gifts to his children, will meet the most basic needs that we have as we look and consider 
as we look at the sparrow and the raven, and as we look at the wildflowers, the confidence and the comfort that comes from trusting, God's going to meet us there. But I started to go through all of the different stage in a, the stages in, in Maslow's hierarchy, and I was like, in this little passage, Jesus says, in me, all of these are met. Right? The physiological needs. Look at creation. God cares for the birds and the wildflowers. Your needs will be met. Our safety needs. Um, Provide purses for for yourselves that will not wear out. Treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief can come near, no moths destroy. In Christ, our treasure lies in heaven and is ultimately secure and safe. This need we have for belonging and, and familial connections, right? We have a God who's not a distant God, but who comes to us as a good father who loves us, who gives us good gifts. And we're called a little flock. I love this. It's kind of condescending when you understand how dumb sheep are, but it's a beautiful image, <laughs> and all true to who we are. Uh, it's a beautiful image that we, God sets the lonely in families, right? We have a changed relationship to each other as brother and sister. Um, God gives us, you ready for the pastor joke of the morning? God gives us fellow sheep for fellowship. Uh, Write that one down. Uh, We're going to move on. Uh, Esteem, right? This sense of value. Um, God says, look at the birds. You are of infinite more value than the birds. And then finally, um, self-actualization. God gives us, he says, seek the kingdom, but then he also says, God gives you the kingdom. Seek it, but understand that God has given it to you as well. And then we have a picture of the kingdom. And this is where it kind of turns everything on its head. Uh, in Christ, our self-actualization most fully happens in our self-emptying. As we empty ourselves for the sake of others, following the example of Christ, this is the self-actualization of the human as God intended it. Not that all of our dreams are fulfilled in the way that we conceive of them, but in pouring out our lives for the sake of others, in the way that Christ has poured out his life for us. This is the pinnacle, which is then also the bottom, right? That's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. The end result of all of this is, is freedom in Christ, right? Freedom from worry and anxiety, freedom to pursue the kingdom of God above all other things. So, this week, I, w- I want to invite you to two things. The first is simply this. I mean, this is the prime time of year and the prime day, really, <laughs> to be preaching on paying attention to the birds and to the flowers because they're out there, man. I, I've been for a couple of walks this week, and just to listen to the cacophony of the bird sound, bird song, um, flowers are starting to poke through the ground, even right outside Taproot. You go right out the door in, the, in this you know, tiny little plot of dirt surrounded by cement. Flowers are coming up. Pay attention. Don't just be like, oh, that's nice. Pay attention. What is God telling you as you pay attention and as you consider the birds and the flowers? But I want to invite you to try something else, too. This morning, a little experiment, maybe. Uh, Most of you probably have some sort of phone. If you have a phone, it's probably a smartphone. Uh, I, foldable flip phones. Every now and then I long for a flip phone again, but there we go. <laughs> um, 
These are, are, are marvelous and terrible and all kinds of different things. These are actually pretty neutral things, the phone itself. But it reveals a lot about who we are, I think. And um, I think what these things do, primarily, is that they connect us to things that have the potential to be idols. They have the potential to be those things that we pursue and seek that the pagan world runs after that will not bring us peace. Uh, They're not pure evil. They also connect us to scripture and to other people and wonderful things like that. But uh, they they represent uh, this this tendency, I think, that really good things in the world can uh, be these things that we obsess over that cause us worry and anxiety if we pursue them in that way. Uh, There was a a thread on Twitter that I saw where someone had asked for creative ways to organize your home screen. Right, so mine's, I won't show you mine, it's all a mess, but you can can group apps together into folders that are with similar apps, right? So you maybe would take your social media apps like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, put them in a little folder called social media so you could quickly access them. Someone was asking for creative ways that people had organized their home screen, and so Uh, One of the more creative ones I saw is by color of app icon. (laughs) So all all these folders contain apps that have nothing to do with each other other than their icon is blue, right? This is for the person that organizes their bookshelves by color of spine, um, which some people do. But then there was a guy who organized his by which of the seven deadly sins the app (laughs) might most lead him into. And I thought, this was, I thought this was brilliant and insightful, right? So you have the envy folder up here. You have the gluttony folder with all the food apps. The greed folder with all of the financial apps. Sloth folder, uh, vanity, wrath. Lust, interestingly, is not up here. And I'm guessing that's on the next home screen one page over. Um, and then he added, he added two more folders that are not traditional seven deadly sins, but I think work just as well. One is FOMO, fear of missing out. So all the apps that go in there. And the other is YOLO. You only live once. All the apps that go in there. I think, though, I think that he's on to something. Right? Uh, and none of those apps in and of themselves are, uh, are, are, are evil. But I think it's the, it's the acknowledgement of what, uh, what our heart is, is prone to do. What our heart is prone to do is to take... Uh, to take these things and to obsess and to worry and to pursue them in a way that leaves us like feeling like we're just surviving, barely. We're just hanging on. So I want to invite you this morning, as you come up, um, as you come up to communion, uh, to leave your phone right here. Um, for some of you, that may, that may be a hard thing to do, disconnecting from the umbilical cord, right? Uh, others of you, maybe it's more of a symbolic thing, right? You know, the phone really isn't the issue, uh, but it's what it represents. Uh, it, it represents a connection to these things that we pursue that cannot bring us peace, that cannot bring us joy. And we pursue them at the expense of pursuing real joy and real peace found in the kingdom of God, pursuing Christ. So whether it's actually the phone or whether the phone is symbolic, I would invite you to come and to... to Put it here at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus here. To leave it there, to leave your worry and your anxiety there, and to come and and receive from him 
his bread, his life-giving bread, his body, and the cup, his all-forgiving blood. Um, if you don't have a phone, I also have uh, some post-it notes if you wanted to write something down and, and leave it in here, similarly as a symbolic gesture of leaving your worry, leaving your anxiety at the feet of Jesus. So I'm just going to put them right here for anybody that needs that. Then after worship, when you're able to come and take up your phone in a non-anxious manner, you may do so. Uh, you'll know which one's yours. Right? Phones are like babies. They all look alike, but you know which one's yours. So you'll be able to figure that out. I'll watch over them so that nothing happens to them. But let it be, let it be a prayerful activity. Let it be something that, uh, that allows you, as you set it down, to lay down that which is, is causing you worry and anxiety and to s- instead receive from Jesus the riches of his kingdom, this peace and this joy.